You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Rayleigh, and today we're talking with Parker McDonald of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast and YouTube channel. Parker lives in my home state of Alabama, and uh, he's had a couple of really, really great seasons here uh, here lately, including this year killing six bucks in four different states, and he's currently hunting down in Florida, I believe. Uh, yeah, just had a great year. Parker is an awesome dude. Uh, I've been listening to his podcast on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network for a couple of years now. And uh, you might be wondering why I would have somebody from Alabama on the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. And uh, here's here's my answer. For, for most of us here in the upper Midwest, the season is either over or quickly drawing to a close for us. And uh, maybe you filled your buck tag already. Uh, maybe deer hunting just isn't an option for you right now. But for all of us, the weather has turned just brutally cold, and hunting this time of year could be really, really, really tough. And uh, or you know, a lot of us don't even have good access to places that would uh, that would work out for us for the late season. Maybe our property has been highly pressured. Maybe uh, you know the bucks that we were after have been shot already. Maybe we just don't get a lot of don't have a lot of food on the properties where we hunt. Whatever the case, it may be the fact that we don't really want to or care to hunt late season here in, in Wisconsin in January. So I have a late season suggestion for you that may be a little bit different than what you've heard before. Here it is. Consider heading south for the late rut. Now, states like Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, they all have regions of the state with really, really late ruts. And because of environmental factors, fawn birth timing and thus Peak breeding is not driven by harsh winters. Uh, other things like seasonal flooding and, and, and stuff like that seem to have uh, an influence on peak breeding. And, uh, you know, breeding takes place in just a totally different time of year. So for places like Alabama, for instance, uh, especially in southern Alabama, that means you can hunt the rut in February. In fact, the first 10 days of February are, are, are lights out for the area where 
uh, I used to used to hunt. So, uh, yeah, today we're going to get a season update from Parker, and I'm going to pick his brain a bit about heading south to catch the southern rut. We're going to talk about thermal hubs. We're going to talk about realistic expectations. We're going to talk about how to find the how to find the right spot. Uh, you know, when when hunting in the south, because man, things are just very very different uh, down there. So. Really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you all. Before we jump in, though, I want to mention our giveaway. We've teamed up with our buddies over at Half Rack for a giveaway to celebrate the new year and all the new things coming up for the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, as well as the new things that are going to be coming up at Half Rack. They've got a bunch of new gear coming out this year that uh, they're really looking forward to launching. So we're giving away a Half Rack Vintage Patch Hat, a tumbler, a snack pack, and a decal. And you're going to receive a Wisconsin Sportsman Limb Hanger shirt. It's a new shirt that we've got coming out. You're going to get a beanie. You're going to get a decal. This is over a $100 value of this package that we're giving away. And it could be yours for free. To enter, all you have to do is head over to Instagram, like the post announcing the giveaway, follow us, and follow our buddies over at Half Rack, and you're entered. You can also uh, get additional entries by tagging two friends uh, in the post and by sharing that post on your page as well. The winner is going to be announced on next week's episode and on Instagram on January 19th. Now, I told you last week I was going to have some big news coming over the next couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, last week I mentioned that we are moving to a weekly production as well as to a new day. That means you'll be getting new episodes of the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast on Tuesdays rather than on Fridays. More news today. You can probably already guess what it is. We've got some Wisconsin Sportsman podcast merch almost ready for you. We have some pretty sweet shirts, hats, beanies, decals, all kinds of cool stuff headed your way. So be on the lookout for that. Anything you purchase from us is going to go a long way in helping us do more with this podcast. Uh, It's also going to do a lot for conservation because we're going to give 10% of all proceeds to conservation efforts here in the state of Wisconsin, as well as around the country. So last but not least, Big thanks to you for tuning in. I really appreciate all of you and your support. If uh, if you would, please head over to wherever you access this podcast and subscribe. Leave us a, writ- a written review if you can. That really, really helps us out. Then share this podcast with your buddies. That'll help us keep growing this thing so that we can bring you better and more content. Uh, now, with all of that stuff out of the way, let's get to the conversation with Parker McDonald. All right, today I'm speaking with fellow Sportsman's Nation podcast host and uh, fellow Alabamian. Can I call you an Alabamian? Yeah, I mean, I live, I lived here for about ten years of my life, so yeah, close enough. I fellow, guess I made the cut. There you go, fellow Alabamian Parker McDonald. How are you doing, Parker? Dude, I am uh, doing well. I'm getting over sickness. Our whole family's sick, but uh, I'm trying to just relax and not be too terribly uh, what's the word active right now because I got some more hunts coming up I got a Florida hunt coming up this week that I've got to get better for and then Mississippi after that so I'm uh, I'm just chilling right now man just trying to take it easy and get better you know what I, I think the deer herd is probably happy that you're chilling right now because every time I've logged on to Instagram this year I feel like you've killed something else it's been a crazy season it's been really nice it's been uh you started off by putting down some does quick right yeah and i try to do that um i kicked off in north dakota killed a small buck in north dakota on the last day and um and then hunted alabama and usually like big woods style public land hunting in alabama like 
we don't we don't have a lot of like crops and ag and stuff like that that we can really key in on for early season uh like you know the bed to food stuff trying to find bucks and so like just for example from october 1st through november crap thanksgiving i saw two different bucks in that whole entire time and i was hunting like five days a week so i was hunting a lot i was out in the woods a lot and i just wasn't you just don't see a lot of bucks during that time that time frame and so i I try to take that time to just kill a bunch of does and uh i'm a firm believer that you kind of got to shake the shake the rust off a little bit and especially when you're self-filming like kind of get back in the swing of things and the best way to practice doing that is by killing does and uh and then also you know with the when you're when you're bow hunting like you you really you really gotta uh you you can sit in the yard and practice all you want but when you're shooting at a moving target like everything changes right everybody knows that everything everything's different you've got trees in the way you've got move movement you've got to draw quietly and shoot sometimes in awkward positions and stuff and there's I, I would way rather miss a doe because i was a little bit rusty on it than only shoot bucks you know and and not get my practice and so i i try to shoot uh this year i said i was going to shoot three does as fast as i could ended up shooting four so this mission accomplished <clears throat> well parker this is the wisconsin sportsman podcast uh you know a lot of guys up here may not know a lot about what you do being that you host the Southern ground podcast. You got the Southern ground YouTube channel. You put out a lot of great stuff. Everybody that listens to this podcast knows I'm from the South. So uh, yeah, man, I've been consuming your content for quite a while. So it's fun to have you on. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Southern ground and what's going on there right now. Yeah. So uh, I started Southern ground five years ago, I guess, basically right when the sports nation started. (coughs) Sorry about that. Um, right when the sports nation started, I think there was uh, Garrett Prawl with DIY sportsman was on uh, Landon legacy was on. And then of course, nine finger chronicles. And then I think I was the next one, if I'm not mistaken, um, I could be wrong about that, but I think I was the next one. And uh, actually I went on as a guest to talk about kayak hunting on nine finger chronicles and like the next day, Dan reached out to me. He's like, Hey, you want to start a podcast about hunting in the South? I was like, uh, sure. And so I have a background in audio, um, with, I worked at a church. That was my career for, uh, since I graduated high school. And, um, so I have a career and I had a career in that. So I knew, you know, the basics really of audio recording. So it wasn't really that much of a learning curve for me. Cause I had some experience there. And, uh, so I bought all the things that I needed and started this podcast and then, uh, gosh, it was probably not much long after that. I was talking to my wife and I was like, you know, a lot of cool stuff happens to me when I'm in the woods doing this kayak hunting thing. I was like, I should start filming stuff. And I, I really got on it right at the tail end of when it made sense to start a YouTube channel because now it seems like everybody has a YouTube channel and, uh, and it's hard. It's really hard to get your stuff off the ground right now because there's just a, an influx of people doing it. And so it's hard to, it's hard to get started with it, but I was able to get started doing that um, fairly quickly after I started the podcast, which is like right at the tail of when it 
really made sense. And the podcast too, like, as you know, it seems like every week there's a new podcast coming out. Um, like I, I, I know, I know for Southern stuff, when I started, there was like one other podcast doing any type of Southern content. And now it seems like every month there's a new group of guys called Southern something, you know? And so, um, so yeah, it's been great though. I mean, it's been a really, really fun ride. Uh, it's been, I've met some of the coolest people, been able to capture some really cool hunts and, and talk to some of the, I mean, the smartest deer hunters around in the South. And so it's been uh, it's been a pretty cool, pretty cool ride. I'm, I'm excited about where it's going to go and where it's going to head. Cause I don't think it's really even gotten started yet, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Yeah, man. The, you know, you mentioned the, there's always somebody new these days. It seems like podcasts popping up all over the place. And I, I didn't even realize that until I jumped in and started producing podcasts. Next thing I know, it's like, holy smokes, there's a lot of you guys. Like there's a bunch of them. And, and, you know, some of them don't stick. And then you go to some and you're like, man, I've never heard of this one, but it's been going on for years and years. And so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty crowded space. It can be really intimidating to jump into, uh, especially you mentioned the YouTube thing. I'm sitting here with a camera thinking, Oh, we could start doing this. And I look around at what all's on YouTube right now. I'm like, Holy cow. How do you even, how do you even begin yeah. to stand out when there's this much content? I mean, obviously there's an appetite for it. Like obviously there people want more content, but, but figuring out how to jump into that space is, is pretty, pretty intimidating but so yeah and i you know to that point like i'm nowhere close to where to like some of the bigger players in the in the youtube hunting space at all but um you know like like take the hunting public for example like you saw how fast they took off you know it was just a right just the right ingredients for something really great and then from that stemmed, you know, a, a lot of excitement around the the public land hunting and filming and documenting everything. And, uh, it was, it, it, I can imagine for somebody trying to get started right now, like I get messages all the time, like, Hey, how do you like, how do you get views on a video? I've got this awesome video. That's really cool. A really cool encounter with a buck. And I shot this buck, whatever. And it's got a hundred views, like what the heck's going on? And it's just, it, it's just, it's, it's really kind of a luck thing more than anything. Like if you just happen, I had a, I had an Instagram post the other day that got lucky. I got lucky on it. It was not the coolest picture I've ever taken, but it got onto the uh, discover page on Instagram just kind of by, it's like, why is this picture getting all these likes? And so like, for, for example, on Instagram, I usually on a post, I'll get, I don't know, 200 to 300 likes on the post. This one got 2000 and like 2,200 oh, likes on there. And I'm like, what the heck is going on with this stupid picture? <laughs> and it was because it got put on that discover page. And it's, it's the same thing with YouTube. It's just algorithms and like getting in that, getting in that zone. And, and once you get into that, taking advantage of it yeah. and, and really like that's your time like that's youtube saying here's your time show us what you got and and doing that so anybody who's starting a youtube channel that might be listening to this 
like don't don't get down you know it, it you just never know when that one video that you don't even think is your best one is going to be the one that really sets you off yeah for sure i you know it, it is so so crazy how those algorithms and everything work i uh i made a reel on instagram and this isn't a bunch by other standards but i woke up the next morning and it had like a hundred thousand views and like a ton of likes and within just a couple of days, it had 200,000 views and it was just, it was going crazy. Just this stupid reel. And I'm like, how did this, how did this even happen? And all these people started following my page. I'm like, you don't know what my page is. Like you don't, you, you know, so obviously I start posting pictures of dead animals and all of a sudden, you know, it's just like unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. <laughs> so it's just crazy. Yeah. Crazy how all that works. Yeah, it is. It, it is. it is crazy, but it's a, if you'll stick with it and and really start to like follow your growth to me as long as i see consistent growth like in a youtube channel or an instagram i might have these huge bursts like last year on youtube last year season i killed like four bucks just bam 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 around uh end of october early november i just was killing bucks during that time frame, And when I posted those videos, I was recording them super quick or uh, editing them and put them up on YouTube really fast. And when I did that, I ended up gaining like 2000 subscribers in like a really short amount of time. And so for where I was at at the time, that's a lot. Yeah, That was a lot for me. And it, it would be a lot for me right now, even still, if I just all of a sudden gained that many subs on there. But, um, you know, you, you'll get those, type of things but as long as i'm not seeing it being like stagnant then you can kind of like say okay so on a bad day or on a bad month maybe i'll gain a hundred subscribers and you know youtube gives you your your uh analytics so for the last month i've gained a hundred subscribers well that's a hundred more than i had last month so as long as i see that happening you can kind of calculate your, or your projection is going to be, you look at five, six, you know, 10 years down the road, yep. do the math. I mean, you all of a sudden have a lot, yep. you know what I mean? And so you can watch that growth. And then when you get 10 years down the road and you look back, you're like, man, I remember I was so upset <laughs> that I had a bad month then, but as long as you're still growing, man, it's, it, it'll eventually get there and putting stuff out and, and being consistent. Like that's just a big, a big part of it. Yep. For sure. And I, I think too, you know, and this goes for, for doing the podcast as well. You know, if, if, if you don't love doing podcasts because the people you get to talk to, then you're kind of, you're, you're not going to stick with it, you know, with through the ups and downs. If you don't love just being able to, to come home and share the things you videoed out in the field, share that with your wife and kids and your buddies. Like if that's not driving you, you're not going to keep doing it because it sucks. I started carrying a camera around this year and it sucks real bad. Like, like it is, yeah, it is not it easy. It causes you to make mistakes. It introduces a whole other level of difficulty. And, you know, especially when you're trying to do that on public land. And uh, yeah, if you're not doing it just for the love of being able to share that with, with people around you, then you're probably not going to stick with it. Yeah, that's right. So, well, look, man, I, I got a question. This has been in my mind since you mentioned it a second ago. You've, you've killed a couple of bucks this year. You've killed four bucks this year, right? I killed six bucks this year. Six bucks this year. Oh, wait, I forgot. Yeah, a, okay, so there's. I like, mean, not not to, not to brag no, or anything. I, so but. I knew the three in Alabama. I knew the one in South Dakota. 
and I knew the one in Texas. So there's five. Where where was number six? Wait. Maybe it is just five. Uh oh. Let me hold on. Three in Texas. I mean three in You're right. It is just five. Okay. I've killed I've killed uh my math is wrong somewhere. Oh no no, I killed one in Kentucky. Kentucky. Sorry. Okay, yep, that's yeah. right. Yeah, six. That's right. So, all right, so you've killed six bucks this year. You've had a fantastic deer season. Why in the world do you want to go to Florida? Why do you want to put yourself through that so, again? <laughs> Florida is <laughs> like my bucket list, right? Like it's just it's just my bucket list. If I can kill a buck, a legal buck in Florida. I, and honestly, like right now, so uh, I've killed, I haven't killed anything this year that I would, Maybe last year I would consider it mount worthy for a shoulder mount, but I like to, you know, every year it's just something weird for me that I like to have at least one shoulder mount deer every year. And this year I I tried to, I had to pay for a turkey mount. So Mm. I had that expense that I just paid for like two weeks ago. And so I shot a buck in Alabama that probably I should have put on the wall as a, as a shoulder mount, but I decided not to, I decided to just do a European mount on it. Um, but right now the, the wager is if I kill a legal buck in Florida, it doesn't matter if it's a basket rack, six point it's getting shoulder mounted. There you go. Um, like to me, it's, that's worth it. Like it, for anybody who's listening and like, if you've never hunted Florida, you should go try it once. Um, I I've said it for a long time. I say it on my show all the time. If he, if people, if, if a guy consistently kills public land deer, legal public land bucks in Florida every year, it doesn't matter what size the deer is, if it's legal, then he's probably among the top ranked hunters in the United States because that state is just so hard. Yep. Uh, they, they just recently in the last like two years changed regulations to where uh, you actually have like a, a five buck limit, I think. Jeez. But used to it was like you could shoot a buck every day yeah. of the season. Um, and that was just like it was that way in Alabama, as you probably know, for yep. I mean, until probably a decade, 15 years ago. Yep. But our population has had a chance to now kind of, you know, catch up to that. But in Florida, like they just changed it like two years ago and you can still kill like five. So it's not like it's a it's not like it's a conservative tag limit. Um, so you, what you'll find in Florida is there's a decent amount of does, a fair amount. Anyway, it's not a lot, but a fair amount, but they still dog hunt. So mm-hmm. dog hunting is legal on a lot of WMAs in most WMAs in Florida. And it makes it really tough to go in and hunt places because you have to deal with the dog hunting pressure. Those people are pressuring those deer like crazy, um, running dogs through all the woods and it's just tough. If you've ever hunted a private piece of land and you all of a sudden you start getting stray dogs showing up on your trail camera, you probably understand that dogs run deer off. Like they, they won't, your, your deal deer will stop showing up. So you have to deal with that kind of pressure. But, um, also my, my good friend, Walter Lee, he hosts the chasing tales outdoors podcast. He's from uh, North Florida and he's doing this hunt for, his patrons, right? He, so he has a Patreon. Uh, he has people who support his show every single month and he decided to do this hunt. I'm a patron for his show. 
So I get invited to go in this hunt and it's going to be a really cool, it's going to be a really cool time. And we also, me and him have a lot of overlap. So a lot of the people who are patrons to his show are also patrons to my show. So it ends up being a good chance for me to go and hunt with the people who support Southern ground on a regular basis. And, and, and hunt in a lot of ways, like you have guys who they wait, they, they wait, you know, all season to go hunt Kansas or Iowa or uh, Nebraska, some of these big buck Midwestern States, like a lot of your quote, your, your content creators are going out to those places and killing these bucks and like whoop do freaking do. Uh, it, it, to me, it says a lot when people are willing to say like, nah, I'm going to take a week of vacation and go and hunt Florida Oof. with the people, you know, with people who are listening to my show yep. and kind of, kind of get, I don't want to say get on their level by any stretch. I live in freaking Alabama. It's not like, it's not like I'm hunting giant bucks in the Midwest or anything, but uh, it's just going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be a good time. If I kill a buck, awesome. If I have, if I don't kill a buck, this is the the best year for me to go to Florida because I'm really, I really kind of got the monkey off my back and I, I, there's really going to be no pressure on me to, to kill anything, you know, but I'm going to try. I'm really, I'm, I'm going to hunt as if my entire life depends on me killing a buck in Florida, but like, this is a great year to go and try to do that. Yeah, man. Well, good luck to you. I, I hope you have a ton of success in Florida. <clears throat> so will will it be anywhere near the rut where you guys are? I know Florida's rut is all over the place. So will you be kind of in the, yeah, it'll be, it should be peak rut okay. when we're there and you'll be there. Um, next week. So I, I actually, I leave, uh, not next week, tomorrow. I leave tomorrow. Okay. Um, head down, I'll scout. It's, it's really close to the Georgia, the South Georgia yep. line. So I'm going to, I may end up getting both state tags. Um, just because some of the regulations on Florida are a little bit difficult to but like one of the days that we're there, we can't hunt. It's just a scouting day. So I'm like, well, if we can't hunt that day, then I might go hunt the, the Georgia side. And so I can actually hunt instead of scout. Cause I'm going up two days early to scout and, and, you know, run my boat up the river and try to find these good places to places to hunt. So, um, yeah, I'll be hunting probably two States during, during this trip, but I'm really going to be focused on Florida. If I can find some places that have good sign, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to put all my eggs in the Florida basket. Nice. Nice. Well, man, I, I wanted to bring you on. Uh, so th- we're in Wisconsin. It's late season here. We're not even thinking about the rut, right? Like we're thinking about food sources or we're thinking about ice fishing. You know, we've kind of moved on, uh, f- moved on from the deer hunting thing. I went out the other day and got snowed on. It was cold. Uh, I went out one time last year, right at the first of January and had a doe come out <clears throat> and I went to draw back my bow and man, it sounded like I was shattering the limbs on concrete. Like it just, it was so cold. Like my, my, my new Matthews bow was like cracking and creaking as I'm drawing this thing back. And so, um, yeah, so I mean, it, it, it's, it's wild this time of year. And so I, I have, um, a suggestion for my Wisconsin brothers and sisters, uh, for their late season tactic. And I want to know your thoughts on it. My suggestion to them is this. Forget about hunting the food sources here, especially if you're trying to hunt public land because it's it's really tough. Go south and hunt the rut. What do you think? 
Um, man, that's a weighted question because I've never hunted late season in Wisconsin. Uh, here's what I can tell you. I've hunted um, Alabama, I've hunted Georgia, I've hunted Florida, Tennessee. Um, I think that you're – I would agree with you for somebody who maybe does it. Like you, you have to start somewhere. What people would find is that the rut in Alabama or the rut in the south is not going to be like the rut that you see – in the north and in the midwest you're not going to just see deer every all over the place yeah. you know yeah. like for me i've i've spent my life here and so like this is my home so i kind of know the right spots to be in the right areas i've scouted i've done my homework so i can go in during the rut and like for example this year during our rut here so like early december i killed a buck on December the 1st, December the 8th, and then December the 13th. So it was just like week after week, I killed my three bucks. But that's a lot of time, a lot of scouting, a lot of just a lot of time invested into a place. Uh, I've hunted other places during the rut in Alabama and have seen no deer, like zero deer, and didn't see a deer the whole trip. And so Yes, if a guy is willing to drive or fly from Wisconsin to Alabama 10 years, they're eventually probably going to figure it out and 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 learn some things, you know, and and develop a system for hunting in the south. Um but that first year you may find that your success rate even in the late season in Wisconsin or somewhere, you know, somewhere up there even your success rate in the late season is probably going to be better than what you get during the rut in the South. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, ab- yeah. Ab- I, I would, absolutely. I would never discourage anybody from coming down here because I think it's, I think it helps you to become a, a more well-rounded hunter and kind of, you know, learn, learn something new. Um, and it, it expands your, it expands your, I guess your horizons and, and as far as deer hunting goes, but uh, dude, like I know somebody the other day who went uh up north to one of the northern states, Wisconsin or Iowa, and killed a giant buck. They sacrificed the rut here to go to I believe it was Iowa and hunt Iowa in the late season. They killed killed big biggest buck of their life. Yep. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of where I, that's kind of where I would land. I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah, for sure. Um, for a guy like you who is who was raised in the South, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the right move is to because you kind of have been here and you've got some time spent down hunting in the South. But for a guy who's never done it, it it's a it's a different ball game when you come down here. Yeah. Just deer densities, food, everything is just so different yep. down here for sure. And you know what, I was hoping that you would couch the answer in that way um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the The biggest one, I think, is that is that piece where uh, the rut is just a different thing in Alabama. Like, it doesn't matter if you hit the peak rut. It does not look like what it looks like here in Wisconsin. Like, I walking into the woods, it, it, you don't scout the same. The amount of sign is nowhere near the same. Like, not even yeah. close. You don't 
in Alabama, you don't just see random large bucks hanging out in a field in the middle of the day, even during the run. <laughs> they just don't do it, right? Like, no. it's just a very different thing. And the rut can be drawn out. You can be on a spot, have great rut activity one day, and then not see anything for the next three days. You come back two weeks later, and you see great rutting activity again. And it's like, well, why in the world is it so spread out and, you know, kind of yeah. kind of lingering along? So I, I was hoping that you would give me some kind of, you know, couched answer like that. Like, sure, come down and give it a shot, but it's not going to be the same kind of intensity. So <clears throat> I'm assuming there are a lot of guys like like me and what, I, what I'm finding, a lot of guys who who hunt hard here with their archery equipment during the rut do pretty well. Like, they, they end up tagging out. And so if they're here in the late season, they don't have a buck tag. I'm assuming they probably want to extend their season. They want to be able to get down to you know, Alabama or something like that. Can you shorten the learning curve? Cause you said 10 years and you know what? I'm not going to argue with you. I think, I think you're probably, uh, you're probably right now. They could probably go to a WMA and sit on a fresh ish clear cut. That's pretty big. Sit close to one of the corners and shoot a one year old buck. They could probably do that with a rifle, right? Hit one of the gun hunts just right. Yeah. But assuming they want something a little bit better, can you shorten that learning curve up? So let's say I'm going to come down, but I've never been there before. Where am I going to start looking as I'm e-scouting? And, and maybe I'll lead your answer just a little bit. You had a lot of your success centering on one specific kind of terrain feature this year. Uh, tell me a bit about maybe that. So um, I, I think you're referring to thermal hubs. Yep. Um, that was really something new for this season that I really tried to focus on. Um, you hear people talk about thermal hubs all the time and we could get real deep into them. But what I found is most people don't know what they are. Uh, it's kind of one of those words that gets thrown around, but your, your average guy doesn't really understand what it is. So uh, I'll just explain it the best I can. Uh, in a short amount of time, if you can imagine being in a Creek bottom, so you're down in a bottom and you've got, let's just say three different ridges that, that dump down into the same Creek bottom. It creates kind of an inverted Turkey foot. So you're, does that make kind of sense? Yep. You have your, you have your Turkey foot, which is like a ridge that splits off into three directions or crow's foot. But so let's, let's think about an inverted one where the bottom is actually what's creating the turkey foot. So you got three different ridges that are dumping down into the same bottom. I killed two bucks in Alabama off the same one this year, sitting right in the middle, down in the bottom, right in the middle of that. that, that and that would be what I can, would consider to be a, a thermal hub because those bucks are going to come down. They're going to dump down off of one of those ridges. And they're just going to do a big giant circle and probably just barely, barely cut the, tips of each one of those ridges just going all all around it and they're scent checking as they're, they're going to do it usually around nine o'clock thermals start rising out of that bottom the sun's hitting the bottom now the thermals start rising wind is over their back also the wind is in your favor if you're hunting it the right the right way the wind is in your favor but the thermals might not be but so thermals are rising winds coming over and they're just scent checking anything any doe that might have come down one of those ridges, they're they're just cutting cutting those trails and trying to scent check. So that's uh, in a nutshell what a thermal hub is. Um, 
because those thermals, what the bottom is going to do is it's going to push those thermals up just about every direction. Um, especially if you have water, if you've got any type of water down in the bottom in a Creek, uh, that water is going to push out all those different directions. And so the, the buck will be able to basically just in a short amount of time, he'll be able to scent check a large area. Yeah. So he's going to be cutting perpendicular to those doe trails that are coming through here. So for, for, for guys in the Midwest, we might think of that as like a, uh, in a similar kind of activity that you might see from a buck will be hunting back off of an ag field between bed and feed where you, you catch a buck running perpendicular to the deer, to the doe trails that are coming out of bedding. You don't see them running the back and forth from the bed to the feed. You see them running perpendicular to it. And that's the same kind of activity you're going to see from these bucks cruising thermal hubs. Yeah. And, and the other thing that you get is most of the time in the thermal hubs that are being used, you're going to find big buck sign down on those bottoms because uh, in the South, most of the time your big buck sign is going to be used at night. So your scrapes, I don't ever kill deer over scrapes, not making one, you know, if there happens to be a scrape in the area, that's one thing, but I I don't think I've ever killed a deer making a scrape or on a scrape. Uh, Rarely do I ever see a deer making a rub. Um, But at nighttime, your thermal hub works the, the inverted way so while the thermals are pulling down into that bottom the bucks are still cruising they're just cruising the bottom right because that's where all they can walk that bottom and scent check anything that's coming down off of that bottom so if there's a doe up there on the bottom or up there on the top of one of these ridges the thermals are pulling down into that bottom. They'll be able to smell it. But what you'll find is when, when there's a buck using the area as a thermal hub, you'll find big, huge, you know, big rubs, lots of scrapes. And so those bucks are also uh, in the, in the morning, in the late morning when the thermals are rising, they're scent checking their scrapes a lot of times to see if another buck's coming in the area and they don't even have to go down to the scrape or to the rub or whatever they can smell as those thermals are rising and pulling that scent up without having to go down into the bottom. Cause once they go down in the bottom, their, their, uh, their smelling advantage is, is basically gone. They're not getting, they're not getting the same effect. Yeah. So, so how high up then are they going to be cruising? Like where, where, uh, elevation wise, are they going to be cruising in the, in the mornings? Let's say they come through at 9am, right? Thermals are starting to kind of be funky switching up. Where are they going to be running? I would say uh, I've I've seen multiple. I've seen multiple. It, it just depends on the elevation of the ridges that you're on and where the where the thermal tunnel, I guess, actually ends up being. So they're they're going to cruise in such a way where you know, we've all heard Dan and Fault talk about betting, and um, and surely people li- who listen to Wisconsin sportsmen, they're they know. Dan and fault and all of his bedding talks in hill country, the bucks will bed where the thermals rise up into their nose and the wind is at their back. So they get the smell from both directions. And I, I believe that these bucks here on or any, any thermal hub are going to be where that advantage, they have that advantage the whole way around. One of the things that I found this year in this specific hub was there was a bluff or a cliff big rock face um, right at the very top of all these ridges 
that just kind of ran the whole top of this bowl, this hub. And obviously the bucks aren't going to be up on top of that. They're going to come down below that. And it just made the right spot for them to be able to cruise, uh, to come down below it. And I, I, there's a video it's uh, I think it's called shot a buck on thermal hub or something like that on my YouTube channel where I actually, you know, sometimes, sometimes most of the time, probably 90% of the time uh, you go in and uh, you think something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen. But every once in a while, your plan just really starts to work out. And so I, I went in to this hub the first time I hunted it I said, Hey, this is why I think that this is where I think a buck is going to come from. I think they're going to come down below this rock wall. They're going to get on that bench and that's where they're going to cruise this hub. And sure enough, it wasn't an hour later, a buck literally just read the script that I just laid out. And so I go, I'm able to explain it. Once I go up to the buck and I shot him, go up to him. I am able to explain a little bit better. If somebody wants a visual of what we're talking about, that's definitely a good one. Um, but there's so many variables. A lot of people won't hunt a thermal hub because they're, they're hard to, to hunt. I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't hunt one with a bow, but it's significantly harder to get a deer in bow range in a thermal hub just because the buck is there because he has a huge advantage of being able to smell everything. And it's very hard to, uh, it's very hard to, to, be that uh what's the right word sneaky i guess uh stealthy with a bow like you're trying to get something inside of 30 yards in a thermal hub that's a tough thing to do uh but i definitely will hunt them with a rifle because a lot of times you can you're able to get a shot off on that deer uh long before he's getting into where your your thermals are rising but there's also little things that you can do to uh greater your chances you know to to be almost bulletproof in your setup uh like i said in a if you're in one of those bottoms and it has water in it the the water pushes your pushes your thermals up from whatever direction so a lot of times what i'll do is i'll get on the opposite side of the water from where that deer where i believe that that deer is going to come from so so obviously like i said before the wind i want the wind to already be in my advantage i want the wind to be coming over the top of those ridges um but milkweed is a is a huge thing to be able to to drop that and understand what your thermals do but i'll get on the opposite side of where i think the deer are going to come from because once the thermals do start rising they're going to push if i'm on the opposite side of the water the water is just going to push my thermals the opposite direction of where i believe that that deer is going to come from whereas if you get on the the same side where you might be a little bit closer that water is just going to push your scent right up to him yeah man that that's a really really good point you know i we were talking off air just a little bit earlier and i mentioned a spot where i used to hunt when i was in alabama that's not terribly far from you a larger piece of public uh that's pretty hilly. Uh, that can be a tough place to hunt. And when I started hunting that public piece and some private around it, uh, I started finding thermal hubs. There's quite a few of them in that area. And the problem that I was running into, I'd get down there and man, there's sign everywhere 
but then I go in and try yeah. to hunt it with a bow and I just get busted and busted and busted. So I, I didn't know what they were called. I started calling them bowls because it felt like a bowl, you know, a lot of times when you'd yeah. be down in it. And I just, I quit hunting them. And I, I just, I just totally avoided them because I, I couldn't figure out how to hunt them with the appropriate wind. But then you get down in there and there's sign everywhere. And, and you know, a lot of times it's the hardwoods down in the bottom. <clears throat> Once you get up on the top, you've got your pine ridges, which where I was hunting, a lot of pines up on the tops. Not a lot of sign in those pines, but man, you get down in the hardwoods and it's just tore up with sign. It's so tempting, but it can be it can be so tough to hunt. So, well, that's a good tip for folks who might be heading south. Uh, look for the turkey foot on uh, like a topo map, basically like an upside down or inverted uh, turkey foot. We've got just a moment left, but I, I want you to hit on two more things if you can in two minutes or less. And these are two things that I think people need to be successful if they're going to come south. The first is, what's the quality of buck that I'm going to be looking for? My first year down there, what am I looking for? And the second is, how do I weigh the sign compared to what I might be used to in a state like Wisconsin? Like, what kind of sign am I looking for? Like, what's good sign in Alabama? This is perfect because uh, I recently just did a hunt with uh, Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt. He came down, and if anybody follows him, they know he's been doing this deer culture thing that he, where he's been traveling all over the United States and hunting with somebody who understands a specific region. And so we basically did this, this exact thing that you just asked me. We just did this. I told Mark, I said, if you shoot a legal buck, which is any buck, you're from Michigan. He's a guy from Michigan. Most of his hunting's done in Michigan. If you come to Alabama on public land and you shoot a legal buck, then you've done something that I don't believe 90% of Northern guys would be able to do just on the first trip. Um, because it's, it, it is difficult. You shoot a buck, man, that's awesome. So that's what I would say. I would say your expectations. If you've never hunted the South, that's obviously, that's not my, that's not my standards anymore but um you know uh, for me if i see a hundred inch deer i'm probably going to shoot it every time i would imagine like there's there's not a lot of times when i don't in alabama i won't shoot a hundred inch deer um i'll eventually up those i'll probably up them next year to maybe something a little bit bigger than that. But, but the reality is, is I hunt as much as anybody else that I know around here. And every, every so often you'll see a 120, you know, maybe a 130, like every once in a while. And when I say every once in a while, I mean like uh, just maybe once or twice a year. Um, like, and they're smarter, right? Like the, our one twenties and one thirties here, are going to be more similar to your one one fifties and one sixties out there. That's the smart ones. That's the big old mature deer. So uh, yeah, if somebody from Wisconsin comes down here and they see a 80 inch eight point, like if you don't kill him, you're, you're a better man than I, <laughs> and, and you, and you probably won't have a lot of, a lot more opportunities at those kind of deer. Um, Okay. And then, so when it comes to sign, uh, same thing I told Mark, like don't get caught up on big scrapes, big rubs. Uh, it's just not going to be the same. So what I've 
kind of developed for myself is this list of common denominators. And um, it's nothing new. It's not like I just developed it and came up with it out and pulled it out of my butt, but it's uh, it's these common denominator areas. So I started doing this uh, probably five or six years ago where I would pull out my maps. If I saw a deer on the side of the road, I, I would ask myself, why is that deer there? Pull up my maps, especially if it's a spot where I always saw deer, you know, driving back and forth to work, you see deer or whatever. If you always see deer in that one spot, pull up your maps, try to figure out why is that deer in this area. And what you'll find is a lot of it is is going to be in, um, it's going to be a common denominator of what you see when you're in the woods, when you're hunting. And so for me, that's always been this, uh, a hard transition line or four. So X marks the spot. If you can imagine, and, and, and I cannot take credit for that phrase. Uh, I had a guy named Matt Powell who has come on the show several times and this guy kills so many big bucks. It's ridiculous. And he said, he said this, he was like X marks spot. Every time I asked him, how do you get bucks into the bow range? So often he said, X marks spot. You find those places. If you can picture an X and in each corner of that X is a different habitat type. So let's say you've got a clear cut, you've got hardwoods, you've got pines, and then you've got, uh, uh, let's just say you got a, a, a younger clear cut or something like that. So you have four different habitat types and you get right in the middle of that X and that's going to be the spot to get a buck into bow range every single time. If you're using a rifle, you can back up a little bit off of that and not, but, but that's probably going to be where you have the most encounters with bucks because all those different habitat types offer something. So one of them might offer food. One of them might offer bedding. One might offer uh, travel cover. And so when you, find where all those things converge at, that's going to be very, very valuable. And even in my thermal hub spots, that is in consideration with that. There's very good transition, hard transitions and several different habitat types all coming together in those places. And that's why I believe the deer use that thermal hub is because they're already, they're already there with that, all those habitat types that come together up on the top of those ridges. Um, so my biggest buck that I killed this year in Alabama, he was right smack dab. I mean, coming, it was a three-way transition. So I always say like two is good. So if you can find two habitat types coming together, a hard line transition, that's good. Three is better. Four is as, as good as you're probably going to find. You're, you're not going to find a lot better. But what ups the odds even more is any type of terrain feature coming out of that that x so if you have a ditch a drainage a bench a saddle any type of terrain feature coming out of that that ups your odds even more to to um be able to pinpoint where how these deer are going to be moving through that because we all know a saddle is good we all know a bench bucks cruise benches all the time so you start, you start compiling this list of things that just make the spot better and better. And what you're able to do is you take a big hundred thousand acre, uh, national forest and you're able to just shrink it down into 
little spots to concentrate on. And when you start getting used to doing this, you, you look at a map and you, your mind automatically just goes right to those areas. It just goes right. It's easy to find these hard, hard edges most of the time on any type of map. Uh, Spartan Forge is extremely easy because it's wintertime imagery. And so you're able to see all the different, all the different uh, transition lines coming together. And, and all of a sudden these big, huge chunks of public land just become so much less intimidating. And the number one thing is finding those spots like that, that are hard to access. Because if, if you're talking about these spots being a hundred yards away from the road, somebody's probably already hunting it. Um, so, you know, this, this stuff isn't necessarily a secret, but um, people a hundred yards away from the road, people are going to find the clear cut, you know? Uh, so I use the boat. I use water access a hundred percent of the time in Alabama. And I have found that these, these things, when you, when you can get away from pressure and find all these common denominators, like that's just, you can get, you can, I, I told Mark this, get rid of your idea that big sign is what you're looking for and just focus on what you're finding as far as terrain and vegetation. Big bucks don't make a lot of sign out here. Um, but you'll, you, those will significantly increase your odds at killing a, a, a buck more so than finding a scrape or a rub. For sure. For sure. Well, man, and I think your success speaks for itself. Uh, you've had a fantastic season this year. If people want to go on and, and hear one more about thermal hubs from you or see uh, some of these videos that you're going to be putting out and, and maybe learn a bit more, where can they find more from you? Yeah, just search uh, Southern Ground Hunting on YouTube, uh, at Southern Ground Hunting on Instagram and Facebook. Um, go Wild. I post a lot on, on Go Wild. If you guys are uh, familiar with that, I know that's a advertisement on the Sportsman's Nation, I believe. Anyway, so um, trying to think. Oh, and then of course the podcast, which you can find anywhere you listen to Wisconsin Sportsman. You can find Southern Ground. So that's right. It's going to be right there with it. Well, Parker, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it, and good luck hunting in Florida. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And that is all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Big thanks to Parker for coming on. If you don't already, go listen to Parker's podcast. Check out his YouTube channel, Southern Ground Hunting. It's targeted to guys in the South, but I promise you, you will learn a lot as well. It's going to be well worth your time. Uh, as always, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast. Follow along with us on Instagram and be on the lookout for some more good stuff to come from us here at the Wisconsin Sportsman over the next couple of weeks. Now, until next time, strap on the snowshoes, grab your ice fishing gear, go look for some sheds, do something to get outside and enjoy the incredible resource that is ours as Wisconsin Sportsman.